Welcome to another episode of Well To Do. I'm Andy Lou and I'm sitting here with Max Lagave. I'm so excited to have you on the couch. Thanks for having me. Oh, let me introduce Max a little bit for you. He is a New York best-selling author, New York Times best-selling author. Wow, that's a mouthful. <laughs> and obviously, and no pun intended, because Max Lagave is also a nutritionist. Um, and he's also an author, Genius Foods, The Genius Podcast, a lot of things. It, like, let's pull up a cup of tea while we're <laughs> rattling off your bio. Like, it just goes forever, right? Yeah, it's funny. Like, as we, you know, before we started rolling, we were talking about how, like, seemingly the only things I do are train and work. Right. And uh, Because you love your work. Because I love my work. I do. I really do. I really do. It's, um, I'm not, like, a clinician. I know you have, like, a clinical background. But for me, like, my work gets out and has, you know, over the past decade, I've been really lucky in that it's reached so many people. And so I kind of get, like... This like, I've been saying late, I've been thinking lately that it's reached, the, the amount of people that I've influenced has reached a degree of like statistical power that like I do feel like I get like, you know, like I get feedback that mm -hmm. like my work is helping people. And so to me, that's like, that's what makes it all worth it. Yeah. So we're here to love, serve, nurture. He's helping people, <laughs> literally helping millions of people across America. And yeah, we met at the gym. So obviously you do walk your talk. And prior to that, I have known about Max's work for a long time. You are far reaching into Australia, which is a majority of my audience. And Love that. the fact of the matter is that, you know, the nutritional life that you are educating us about is to really eye open us about ingredients, research, you know, marketing or propaganda. And so I really just wanted to bring Max on today to talk about the process behind processed food. And it's kind of fun talking about that in terms of when you break down the derivative of the word processed, it means process. Mm -hmm. So if we start to look at food, and I say food in inverted commas, because they still keep calling it food when it's so over-processed, it's, it's no so, longer food. Yeah, exactly. It's like so far removed from food. It's like, at what point do we, like, does it, does it cease to be food? Right. Right? It's like a, a good example that I use sometimes is Play-Doh. Do you have Play-Doh in Australia? Oh my gosh, we so do. And, and, and it's dangerous because this is like flour and water, it's right? Flour we can, and water. We can make with, our own coloring, yeah. And it's so crazy. when we eat flour, it's and literally water. gluten. It's like literally gluten. That's what gives it that 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 pliable texture. And that's also interestingly the texture of bread that we tend to like. It makes it very palatable, and we really we we adore the mouthfeel of that. But does that mean that Play-Doh is food, right? Because it's technically edible. It probably provides calories. Probably provides some really low quality of protein. Does that mean that it's food? I would argue no. It's it, not. It, it used to be food. If we stem back to what it was, how it began, yeah. until we went, we went and processed it and exactly. took out, you know, the water content from it, the micronutrition, which for those who don't understand micronutrition, micro meaning small, is vitamins and minerals, macronutrition, fats, carbohydrates and proteins. But the micronutrition is what we need to feel satiated. So when you're actually stripping the food of the micronutrition, that part of the brain that switches off yeah. the hunger mechanism doesn't ever turn off. Yeah, I mean, we've evolved with food, not these food-like products that now make up 60% of the calories that your average American now consumes. And I would wager to bet that this is probably a proportion that we've exported now around the world with the, with the, you know, the exporting of like fast food and these ultra-processed food manufacturing techniques. 
I mean, I don't know what the statistics are in Australia, but I know that in, in um, the UK, it's very similar. 60% of the calories. So that's the bulk of our calories are now coming from these, these food-like products, which are stripped of their um, essential nutrition. So mm -hmm. the, the micronutrients, which you've mentioned. And then they also, one of the, I think, most dangerous things about ultra-processed foods, and of course, the dose makes the poison as it does with most things, but they tend to be hyper-palatable, minimally satiating, and highly calorie dense. I think that's like probably, you know, and of course the fact that they're nutrient depleted, I mean, that, that plays a role as well. But the fact that these foods, they, they almost in a way drive their own overconsumption. And they're so calorie dense that it's not easy to, it's, it's not difficult to see how they now form the foundation of the obesity epidemic. Right. Right. And I think, firstly, I want to say when you're talking about play, Dough, I was just remembering that when we were in kindergarten, we used to get given a cup, like a plastic cup with one of those popsicle sticks in it. And we would put flour and some water to make glue oh out of it. God. So, And then you would stick like shells on your cardboard to make like arts wow. and crafts and stuff. So yeah, it was literally glue. But like if we can kind of get our listeners and viewers heads around processing food and why we need to be concerned, not just because we are not getting the micronutrients that we should be getting, we're then overeating as a result because mm. the body's like, well, I still need my magnesium, I need my iron, I need calcium, I, and, it's, and, then, and it's like, I need to keep eating until I build up those stores, right? Mm. Yeah. So I think that's why we overeat over processed or packaged foods, right? Yeah, well, one, one hypothesis that's been coined is uh, known as the protein leverage hypothesis. And you could also argue that there's a mineral leverage hypothesis that we're essentially gonna that we essentially will eat until we've sated our innate requirements for both macronutrition, but mainly protein. Protein is the most valuable macronutrient. Really? Yeah. Wow. And it's also the most satiating macronutrient for that reason. So when we under-consume protein, we tend to consume more carbohydrates and fat, which are essentially energy. So what we're doing is we're making use of the available energy to try to to try to essentially sequester the amino acids that we so desperately need for our biology to function properly. Wow. So in the ultra-processed food environment, one of the major hallmarks, I would say, of ultra-processed foods is that they're protein depleted. Right. And they're protein depleted for, I think, a number of reasons. One of the major reasons, of course, is that it's profitable right. to, to do that. Protein is the most expensive macronutrient. As I mentioned, it's the most valuable for a reason. You tend to find it in meat and dairy products and things like that. It's a little more difficult to harvest than... Uh, just the, the energy that you get from, for example, the endosperm of wheat or corn or, or whatever. And um, so it's not just, um, it, it leads to higher margin food products, uh, but it also tends to cause us to overeat those foods because they're protein depleted. Yep. Yeah. And, and that sort of like, you know, the, we love to snack on carbohydrates. It's just more pleasurable from like a dopamine standpoint. So that's the other reason why protein tends to be uh, depleted from ultra processed foods, it just creates like repeat customers. Right. And I, my theory is that we're snacking on carbohydrates because we're so tired that we're just like, we need that quick energy sugar hit. Yeah. But then we crash again. And then what do we need? More sugar. And then it's like, well, do, should we just have a nap? Like, yeah. should we do what they did in sort of Europe and stuff? They have siestas. Siestas, <laughs> like, yeah, in Spain. Um, but let's talk about fats as well because. Yeah. What made me a best-selling author in Australia was a book that I wrote to create a fat food movement called Eat Fat, Be Thin, and then Eat Fat, Be Lean, and it was during the Paleolithic era. But I always thought that because our 
yogurts and cheeses and things like that are also processed and they've stripped out the fat and it's low fat food and if low fat food worked we'd all be thin and we're not but then they're adding preservatives sugar as a preservative to also add flavor yeah. like do you think maybe the western world is missing out on fats because of the processing and then that's why we're not satiated as well and we're not sleeping well and what's your theory yeah, I mean, the past couple of decades, we've seen this demonization of fat. First, it started with, with total fat, and then it became a little bit more specific with the demonization of saturated fat. Mm -hmm. And I think what that led to was this influx into the marketplace of these ultra-processed, fat-free food products. And when you deplete a food product of fat, you've got to make it palatable, right? Because at the end of the day, you want to create, you want customers to buy your product. So then they end, ended up adding in all of these noxious products, whether it's like added sugar, but that's probably the least of the problems. Right. They started uh, partially hydrogenating vegetable oils. Right. And then using that to replace the texture and culinary quality that was lent to these foods by saturated fats. And so that led to people consuming sat uh, trans fats for many decades. And yep. thankfully now that, you know, those fats have been... Um, Outlawed, they still so, exist in the on the in the food supply. Those who don't know, trans fats are the man-made fats. They're yeah. the carcinogenic fats. Yeah, they're poisonous to the cardiovascular system. It's important to, um, I mean, you get trans fats in certain kinds of trans fats naturally produced in uh, the fat of ruminant animals. So, like in grass-fed beef, you'll see small amounts of naturally produced trans fats, like conjugated linoleic acid or CLA, which has been shown or suggested to have anti-cancer effects and anti-obesogenic. Yeah. Uh, effects on the so life. So those you, trans fats are okay? Those are okay, it's the man, but it's the man-made ones that you do want to avoid. So it's like, you know, you have to speak about this with a little, a little bit of nuance because a fat isn't a fat, a trans fat isn't, isn't completely a trans fat. You know, carbohydrates, there's a whole continuum of carbohydrate quality. So everything has like nuance to it. But yeah, in general, trans fats are, are things that you want to avoid. Especially so, when they are in the context of ultra-processed foods. Processed foods, exactly. Yeah. And I think at this point it might be sort of a nice time to introduce the sponsor of the show, which is Lukaku. And they are all about collagen, but beautifully produced, like amazing quality collagen. There is also not in, in the powder MCT oil, which is a great, good fat. Yeah, and I um, love collagen. Do you? Yeah, I'm a huge, huge fan of collagen. I love lamp. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love collagen too. No, I just the way you said that was so funny because <laughs> it was with the American accent. <laughs> you're just like, you're just like, oh, I really love collagen, but I do too. And I mean, the thing is, you've got to find a good quality one. And these guys, I basically found them at a Natural Products Expo, and I was like, I need to help you, you know, share your product. I see it's proudly Australian made and owned. That's awesome. Yeah, but we're going to branch them out here into the Dope. US because they have crazy distribution in Australia. You can basically get them anywhere, guys, in the wow. supermarket, in Chemist Warehouse. So go look out for Lukaku. Um, but, you know, you wrote a book. You got so passionate about nutrition. May I ask what it was or who inspired you to get into nutrition? Yeah, my mom, my mom got sick at a very young age and I had no um, career aspiration to go into the health sciences. I thought that ship had sailed, honestly. When I started college, I, I was on a pre-med track, but I ended up pivoting out of that. And then um, when my mom got sick, I, without any sort of, you know, vision for what this might, how this might translate into a, a career, um, that, certainly, that was the last thing on my mind. It was really just to, to try to figure out what was going on with my mom and if mm. there was anything that I could do to help her. And 
you know, this was like, this began about 10 years ago. And when I started uncovering all of the research that I've subsequently written and spoken about ad nauseum, nobody was talking about it. So I felt compelled to share what I was learning as I was learning it. And I started to um, realize very early on that I had an aptitude for what I was doing, you know, that I was able to communicate science, that I was able to, mm. um, you know, do it in a way that was responsible but optimistic and that got people really, like, inspired to take charge. Mm. You're like the Dead Poet Society of nutrition, aren't you? Maybe. That's a compliment. <laughs> I love that movie. That was an incredible movie. It just came to me. Like, it's a great analogy for you. Well, because it's funny you bring you got that up. people excited about learning. Yeah, and Robin Williams, rest in peace, he was, he was the main dude in that movie, right? He actually suffered from the same kind of dementia that my mom suffered from. Stop it. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Louis body dementia, so interesting. Because when you're sharing this calling and crusade to help people get well through nutrition and just understanding how their bodies work, it, you said, like, I just had this you know, natural knack of communicating it. And it's so important because as you say, it is science. It is scientific the way you are communicating it, but not everyone can understand it. So you do have a gift in being able to communicate that very scientific thing to the lay person. So thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for saying that, yeah, thank you. Bless your mum, Robin Williams, um, some of the work that you did in, in, you know, the recipes in this book, Genius Foods, you probably made those meals for your mom, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my mom loved to cook. Like, it was um, something that we loved to do together. And as her dementia progressed, it, was, it became uh, an impossibility for her because it just, it, it, she, be, she became a, a danger, you know, like a risk in the kitchen. Wow. And so um, at a certain point where as she would cook dinner for me and my brothers at times, less so, of course, as, as we had gotten older, but... Um, but at a certain point, I moved back home to be closer to my mom, and I took over the role of cooking. And so I had all these recipes that were under my belt, honed via the you know the boots on the ground process of cooking for her and my uh, very demanding and very discerning younger brothers. And so a lot of the recipes, yeah, in in the book came from from that experience. And of course, I've learned a lot along the way. And you know, because as much as I love to talk about nutrition, if you're not translating that nutrition into delicious and satiating dishes, mm. then your message is going to be lost on people. You know, I don't, I have a certain, uh, there's a certain amount of leeway that I give to the foods that I'm eating because I'm so obsessed with, you know, foods that I know are nourishing to my body that if something is not, you know, over the top delicious, I'll, I'll still enjoy it if I know that it's good for me. But I know that most people are not like me. Most yeah. people are not weirdos like me. So, <laughs> I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, so I had to make all of my dishes like really delicious. And, um, and so that was like a really wonderful challenge, which I feel like I've uh, accomplished. You know, yeah, so I mean, I had a cooking school back in Melbourne in Australia. And, I, and like so many people were getting diagnosed. Oh, now I'm a celiac. Now I'm lactose intolerant. I'm this and I'm that. By the way, not everybody's just lactose intolerant. Sometimes they're casein intolerant. And they don't even realize mm. that that's why they're not getting into the cow protein, which is why they end up having better success with, say, goats or sheep's milk, mm. yogurt, cheeses, all that smaller animal, smaller casein, a whole other subject. But when I had this cooking school, that was my mission is that, you know, you feel like I don't know what to cook anymore because I'm not allowed to have X, Y, and Z. So let's get excited about learning how to cook all over again, as you say. Otherwise, you have all this knowledge, but then you just still don't know what to do with your food. Yeah, 100%. And even if you don't have a ton of knowledge, like it's, I think, really important to remind people that just cooking your own food 
is going to reward you in terms of health, a health benefit. There's like a practical health benefit that you'll get from eating out less and cooking your food at home more because you're, you know, you're, you can get the same thing. You can cook the same thing at home that you would order typically out at a restaurant or hmm. in a fast food environment. And it's typically going to have fewer calories, fewer fat calories and, you know, less sodium, which, you know, we need sodium, but your average person over consumes it because they're over consuming ultra processed foods. Because so. there's no flavor because they're also not having good quality produce. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it's like not like fat is bad either. As we know, fat is great. We need fat to, to live. Right. But like most people today are not fat are not depriving themselves of fat. Like the standard American diet is a very high sugar, high grain, high fat. You know, I mean, that's like the problem is that it's just high in everything. Wow. Right. Um, but yeah, like you end up just making a, you make whatever it is. Like it doesn't have to be like, we love in the nutrition world to argue, you know, low carb is better than low fat. Low fat is better than low carb, vegan, carnivore, paleo, keto. <laughs> but, um, at the end of the day, if you just like, whatever it is that you desire to eat, cooking at home is going to, is going to, it's going to be inherently healthier than anything that you you know, get out generally 100%. speaking in the, in the, in the fast food setting. So what should we be concerned about in regards to the food pyramid? You like basically flipped it on its head, right? <laughs> so how is the old food pyramid and now what's the new Max Legave food period, pyramid yeah. look like? Well, the old food pyramid had at the base, it was like grain and it was like seven to 11 servings of grain products every day. And right. if you look like at the illustrated food pyramid, it was like pasta and bread. And I don't eat that quantity of grain in a month, to so be honest. Do we know who came up with this theory? Yeah, I mean, it was put out by the USDA, and then it was perpetuated, I think, by um, by the the you know the credentialist nutrition community. I think there were, right. I saw I saw a version of the food pyramid that um, I believe was uh, published by Walter Willett, who's like one of the main heads of the Harvard School of, okay. of, of Nutrition, and it had like literally it was like grain products and vegetable oils at the base of the food pyramid. Now, to be honest um, and and clear, the food pyramid has been retired. We don't currently use a food pyramid. We use something called the My Plate Paradigm, which is not much better, you know. And people don't really, you know, also, you know, it's people don't really follow the the dietary guidelines. Like nowhere in the dietary guidelines did it ever say that, you know, Americans should be consuming 60% of their calories from ultra processed foods. Yay. But the but the but the reality is, I mean, it's like most grain products today are ultra processed. Mm. So if you tell people in the in in the United States to base their diet around grain, they're inevitably going to be consuming ultra-processed food products. Yeah, inevitably. yeah, absolutely. So it's just a big, it's it's just all a big problem. You know, I would even go so far as to say a big scam because you see that like all of these, you know, these governing bodies are in bed with one another and nobody really has, you know, truly the the public health, like the interest of the American people, like, like as their sole focus, right? It's like they're trying to balance that with the fact that they have all of these corporate special interest groups that are like, all have their hands in the pie, wow. and it's a big problem. I and mean, we saw recently somebody on on Twitter, a, a teenager, tweeted and it went viral that she was just like mind blown that Coca Cola invests millions of dollars or donates millions of dollars to the American Diabetes Association, mm -hmm. which is like insane. We saw recently there was a study that came out finding that the Amer the American the uh, the largest uh, Professional Organization of Nutritionists and Dietitians, um, the AND, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, not only receives gifts, monetary gifts from the food industry and the pharmaceutical industry, but they also have stock in those companies. So they're literally invested in debt and indebted. Yeah, indebted to to these companies that are like 
only make money when people are sick. Yeah. Or buying ultra-processed junk foods, which will eventually make them sick. Do you know when this started? In the later part of the earlier century, when Edward L. Bernays was employed by the government to sell World War I to the people. And then his next assignment, which was very successful, was a propaganda assignment, which he, for the first time, the American public knew the word as public relations. Hmm. And they were doing a very good job because his uncle Sigmund Freud helped him to understand the psychology of the human people and how to sell them things they didn't really need. Wow. And by making them happy, they were thus docile and mm. easier to manage. Wow. So this is my concern about processed foods. How can we get people excited about eating whole foods again? I mean, you've got the book. What else can we tell them to wake them up? <laughs> well, I think it's really important for people to know that like, this is not just a, a long-term concern. I mean, that should be, I think, on anybody's mind, the fact that like, w what you're eating today dictates you know, years from now, decades from now, your health destiny. Like we, we always like, when we show up to a doctor's office and we are diagnosed with something awful, the first question that we, that we tend to ask is why me, right? Mm -hmm. It's a question that I've, you know, battled with many times with regard to my mom, why her? Mm. And we don't know everything about nutrition and all the many risk factors that will, you know, predispose one to these kinds of chronic conditions. And, and yes, you can do everything quote unquote right and still develop, you know, one of these conditions. We don't, I, I don't purport to know everything, but you got to do what you can because nobody else is looking out for you. Right. You know, wellness is something that, that happens when you're negotiating with yourself to get off the couch and head to the gym. It's what, it's what, it's what you institute for yourself and for your family when you're pushing your shopping cart around the perimeter of the supermarket. You know, and you're and you're avoiding the aisles to the best of your ability, which is where the ultra processed foods tend to tend to be. And so, it's it's agency, it's informed consent and agency that I hope to offer to people with right. with my work. But then also, it's not this isn't just a long term concern, as I mentioned. Like the food you eat dictates the moment to moment functioning of your brain, your mental health, and all these things. I mean, there's a, a horrifying statistic that I um, stumbled upon recently where. The second most common cause of death for people between the ages of 15 and 35, I believe, is suicide. Wow. You know, so we're now, we're, we're the, I think one of the most pressing epidemics now is the mental health epidemic. The fact that so many of us are struggling with anxiety and depression. Mm. And food, although it's not the end-all be-all, it does have a major influence in terms of how we think mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. about ourselves and about the world. Like a little disclaimer too, this whole conversation is not intended to cure or treat anything, but rather inspire everybody to, as you say, do what you can. Yeah. Um, because the last thing you want is, I mean, there's iatrogenesis too. So the last thing you want is by the time you do land up in the hands of the best doctors, drugs, surgeons, hospitals, there's still, you know, human error and medical error that does occur. So this is a real exciting way to be proactive rather than reactive. Um, and yeah, I just, I wanted to ask you, what is your wish for the future for, mm. you know, if we could wave a magic wand? Yeah. I mean, I would love to see real change. I would love to see, uh, you know, more separation between these different, you know, whether it's like the USDA and the FDA and, you know, these organizations that people do look up to and trust like the American Diabetes Association. I don't, I think it should be illegal for them to take donations from, uh, the food industry. It just may, it makes zero sense to me. Um, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, there's that. I think, like, you know, there should be, like, warning labels on ultra-processed junk foods. 
Um, I think with like government assistance, like you know, food stamps and and the like, you shouldn't be able to buy soda with that. You know, like there should be like oh rules God, and regulations. But yeah, a significant. I from I don't know the exact proportion. It's something like 10 percent of of those funds go to buy soda. This is these like are that. all great ideas. Yeah, they're big. I mean, but you know, nobody's gonna nobody's gonna move on them. Like. Um, Why? Because there's just too much money. It's like Coke is funding the ADA, right? Like there's, and that's just one example. These are some of the most powerful entities on the planet. These are multi-billion-dollar, multinational conglomerate, vertically integrated food companies that like are so incredibly powerful. And it's just, yeah, it's just a big. Um, Okay. This is a big problem. So then going back to why education is so important, because when we educate yeah. the people, they're now making their own informed choices, as you're saying, and exactly. they're going to boycott these big food yeah. companies, Exa food companies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that to me is like the definition of the, of the word agency. Like you should be your own, think of yourself as your own agent in the world, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. we, a lot of the time we offload, and that's, mm -hmm. a, bit, that's a big problem. We've, we've outsourced culinary knowledge to our chefs and our cooks, right? Right. And to the restaurants and, and fast food companies, uh, fast food chains that we frequent, we have outsourced our financial know-how to, you know, people that make lots of money doing our, our our finances for us. But that's something that like that we should have a greater sense of, you know, like like financial literacy. It's something mm. that's been lost, right? Health literacy also lost. So, you know, like today we live in the era of specialization, but one of our hunter-gatherer ancestors had to be self-sufficient, and we've completely lost that. We've completely lost that. So the fact that like. You know, somebody can go about the world with with a sense of agency that they are whole, right? It's going to take a little more work and a little bit more research and like diligence, but I think at the end of the, uh, like in the end, it's going to be worth it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It's speaking to my heart. Yeah. It's it's about empowering the people through education, yeah. right? Hundred percent. Yeah. <sighs> On that note, guys, I hope that you have been so inspired and educated. You have been the most amazing guest to have on Well To Do. We Thank could sit you. here all day and like. Yeah, we really could. And I'm actually blessed to be able to have you as a guest because you really can just rattle this off all day. Like, yeah. look how good he is as, as a speaker, guys. So, oh my god. Yeah. Thank it, you. Yeah, but. Um, I would love to have you back on. Maybe we can do a recipe next time together from the book or... Let's do it. But yeah, thank you for being a part of Well To Do. And on the next episode, you're going to be so inspired by a WWE wrestler. So stay tuned. Thank you, Max Lagave. Thanks for having me.